Living with Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes Victoria with Jack Fitzpatrick. Hello, one and all. Thanks for tuning in to the official Diabetes Victoria podcast. This is a great forum for those of us impacted by diabetes, whether it be directly or indirectly, to discuss ideas, share stories, and build our diabetes community. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, ex-Melbourne and Hawthorne AFL player and current Diabetes Victoria ambassador. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Kulin Nations, where we are speaking from today, as well as all the lands across Australia, and pay my respects to all elders past and present and to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening in. Given the circumstances around COVID at the moment, this is a phone conversation and we've done the best we can for all the audio requirements, but I'm sure you're going to enjoy the chat anyway. Now, very lucky to be joined by two very special guests for International Youth Day on the Living Well with Diabetes podcast. Firstly, I'll be joined by Blair Gould, who has just turned 18 recently and is living with type 1 diabetes. He spoke at Diabetes Victoria events previously and in 2019 received the Australian Defence Force 2019 CAN Leadership and Teamwork Award for his advocacy regarding continuous glucose monitoring for all. In January 2019, Blair won the Australia Day Young Citizen of the Year for the Bullock Shire. This was for his work with raising awareness of living with type 1 diabetes continuous glucose monitors, and the peer support group for living with uh, people living with diabetes. He's also been awarded the Children of Courage Award, which was presented to him at the District V14 Lions Convention in Bendigo 2016. I'll also be joined by Lachlan Noonan. Lockie is 19 years old and is a current student at Monash University. He was a competitive swimmer and represented Australia in swimming at the 2017 Maccabiah Games in Israel and was a finalist in three events. He competed in numerous Victorian and interstate championships over the years from the age of 11 onwards. Pretty good rap sheet for both of you boys. Uh, Lockie, first of all, thank you for joining me and how are you, mate? I'm very good. Thank you and thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. And Blair, how, how about yourself? Yes, quite good. Thank you. Uh, thank you again for having me as well. Um, uh, I would love to be doing this in person, but obviously COVID um, is quite restrictive at the moment. So uh, a nice little three-way phone hookup is the best we can do. So let's just start right at the start, boys, and, and go back to the start. Where, talk me through when you were diagnosed with diabetes, how old you were, and, and your diagnosis story. Uh, so I was diagnosed on the 19th of March in 2014. I was 11 at the time. I was diagnosed with diabetes ketosis and I was rushed down to Bendigo, which was which is a bigger centre from where I am. Um, I spent 14 days learning about carb counting, insulin and how to manage my diabetes in general. Uh, while I was there, I was also diagnosed with celiac disease, which pretty much means I can't eat anything with wheat or barley. Uh, not ideal, mate. It's all, all the all the good foods uh, have the wheat and the barley. What about yourself, Lockie? Uh, what was your sort of diagnosis story? Okay, well, I was diagnosed in 2009 on the 23rd of June, so I was nine years old. Um, my story was actually, you know, quite a bit less severe. My mum realised that something was a little bit wrong. I was feeling a little bit sick. Um, I, at the time, didn't feel, didn't know I was drinking a little bit more water, so I went in to have a blood test. Um, the next day, I found out. I had 
diabetes and then was rushed off to the hospital. You know, but my sugars weren't too bad. I believe my um, sugars were only like 24 to 28 at the time. I was then so I went to to the RCH and I would spend the next four to six days learning about diabetes, carb counting, how to manage it, put it like inject myself and all the rest. So for both of you, um, obviously speaking to you both um, previously and already, I'm sure listeners can tell that you know you, you sound wise beyond your years of uh, 18 and 19 years old. Lockie, I'll stick with you just for a second. In terms of you know at the age of nine having to learn about carb counting and, and all those types of things, how much did it force you to mature and, and how quickly? I think it forced me to mature quite mature quite a bit. Um, you know, before that, you know, I didn't know what diabetes was. I didn't really, I don't think, I knew what a carb was. You know, I was nine years old. I just ate when I was hungry, so it really made me, you know, realize what I'm actually eating. Firstly, um, you know, having to you know eat at a certain time. So yeah, I think it definitely made me mature up quite quickly. So what about yourself, Blake? Um, my nan actually had type 2 diabetes, so I sort of had a little bit of an idea what diabetes was, but going into it, I had no idea what blood sugars or um, carb counting or carb, like measuring out food was at all. It was quite a different experience uh, learning from it, and especially being 11 at the time, it's very different, yeah. And you said you were down at the age of 11 to uh, Bending, I think what you said. Whereabouts exactly are you from? You are from regional Victoria. Yes, so I'm from uh, a small town called Birchip. So we're about uh, four, 300 kilometres north of Melbourne. So we're a small farming community with about 700 people in the town. Um, so our major attract- attractions are Chum Lake and Silo Art up here. Yeah, Silo Art. Sounds fun, mate. <laughs> it is. No, that's, that's cool. So, obviously, I mean, that alone in itself shows that whilst you guys have, have been diagnosed similar ages, um, you've probably got different stories. And, you know, you're a, a smaller community, Blair, that I, I almost, I'm assuming, everyone probably knows everyone, whereas you, Lockie, growing up more in metropolitan Melbourne, um, it, it's probably a different upbringing. So, Lockie, uh, again, I'll come to you. Talking about your upbringing and growing up and, and living with type 1 diabetes and then things like going to school and being a teenager, before we get into your swimming specifically, what were the challenges you faced and, and how was it trying to, you know, I always say that it would be so hard being a tight teenager with diabetes because the one thing that every teenager wants to do is fit in and by definition, you have something that makes you different. Yeah, so um, I actually started, I won't talk about swimming yet, but I actually started swimming about six to nine months after I was diagnosed. So those two things really came together as one. Um, but, you know, I was in great story at the time. Um, fortunately for me, my school and my parents and family were incredibly supportive of it. So I don't believe I ever felt, you know, that different, you know. I would leave to go inject at lunch, um, but then I'd just go out and hang out with everyone as normal. So I was really fortunate that it didn't, from my memory impact me too much. You know, obviously I feel different and it was something um, that I had to manage that no one else did, but I'd never felt, you know, too different or too, you know, like something was wrong with me, I suppose. Yeah. And what about you, Blair? You, much smaller sort of community. Was, was the whole community kind of supportive or was it very different for people? Well, being in a small community, I found that a lot of people were very supportive and understanding. My biggest issue was uh, isolation because I was the only child in our school of about 200 in our community with type 1 diabetes. So coming home to Birchett to find there was nothing here 
was quite hard and challenging. Um, that's pretty much the main reason we started our group, the Mallee Kids, to support other diabetics and also the diabetes support group in our town, bringing people together together and supporting them with their diabetes. So how important is that for you now, having that connection, that was the connection with other people that live with diabetes? And is that what the uh, ADF award was for or, or that was the, the Dulop Shire Young Australian of the Year award? Um, so my oh, the awards I received last year, um, so the Australia Day Award, the Young Citizen of the Year for Black Shire, and also the Australian Defence Force uh, Long Team Leadership and Teamwork Award. I received these for my advocacy and fundraising with children with diabetes, and also including my work with Andrew Broad, who was our Federal Minister to the Mallee, when subsidising continuous glucose monitors uh, for children under the age of 21. Uh, the biggest thing was probably um, supporting the children in regional Victoria with type 1 diabetes, so, so by establishing the Mallee Kids Group so and our support group also, to, and raising awareness through public speaking. So how many people at the moment are involved in this? Mate? You, said, you said you've kicked it off and, and you started this advocacy, this support group and, and raising awareness. How many people have you got in, in the Mallee network up there now that are all sort of in communication with each other, I suppose? Uh, so, with everything, we have seven families which we connect to and talk to regularly and have activities we usually do to support them with it. Um, yeah. And then we, in our diabetes support group, we have about 15 members. It's a pretty powerful thing, mate, particularly up in that part of Victoria where, um, you know, it's not like Metro Melbourne where you're all living right next door to each other. I'm imagining there's a fair bit of distance between all the families and the people. Uh, yes. So some of them are from the other side of Horsham, which is uh, over an hour and a half away. And then, yeah, and others are a bit more closer within half an hour, the other town, the next town over sort of thing. Yeah, everyone's sort of spread out over everything. Pretty powerful thing you've done. So growing up, boys, sort of, you know, you, you got it at the age of nine and 11 respectively and you start looking at, you know, high school and then you're moving on to your later teenage years and you change the hormones and you're growing up more and, you know, you're becoming accustomed to living with type 1 diabetes. What sort of changes did you notice um, in your body, um, psychologically, um, even with how people were we're treating you or, or maybe judging you or, or whatever word you sort of want to use there. I'll, I'll start with you, Lachlan. Yeah, okay. Well, I never noticed any specific hormone changes that I had to adjust. I think because at this time I was training, you know, 12 to 14 hours a week. So if I was having any changes, it was mostly to adopt to that rather than hormones specifically. Um, but at the same time, you know, I was adjusting my rates and what I was doing probably every fortnight or a month just to continue to adopt to uh, my different training regimes. Um, so that's the answer to that. And to answer how people um, treated me, um, no one has ever really treated me differently to that. I think, you know, I've been, you know, I've, I suppose I've been known as, you know, the swimming kid, not the diabetic kid. So in terms mm-hmm. of letting something define me, I've really tried to make diabetes just something, you know, I've got diabetes, but I don't let, you know, it impact me what I do. You know, whenever I go out, people would know me as, you know, the kid who swims, you know, 12, 16 hours a week rather than the kid who has diabetes. 
that's a really cool way of looking at it. And, and cool. I want to ask you specifically about how you manage it with your swimming and stuff. I'll, I'll come back to you in a sec on that. Um, Blair, yeah. I want to ask you the same question about, you know, you changing hormones, changing attitudes of you mentally as you sort of grow from an early teen to a later teen and, and what changes you notice either physically or mentally? Uh, yeah, so, well, I suppose getting older, I found uh, my blood started to fluctuate a lot more being a teenager and having a lot more hypos in the night. And we were adjusting my insulin a lot at that time to try and get that fine balance, which is probably the biggest change I found in teenage years. So I was still a bit of a teenager now. Um, and yeah, uh, being different, I suppose. Um, I've had diabetes for six years, and no one's really bullied me because of it. I've, I come from a small community, and everyone sort of knows each other. So the kids in my classes, um, they've always asked me questions about my diabetes and also my continuous glucose monitor I have. And I try and answer them the best way I can and show them different things so I have a bit of an understanding. Um, and if I'm low or anything, they're quite understanding and they give me a hand when needed in that, which is quite good. And that, and they've been very supportive. Support is very key. And on those questions, I'll, I'll stick with you um, just on, on that answer. A lot of people I've found do ask questions and, and generally my experience is that when they ask questions, sometimes the questions might appear rude or ignorant or a bit invasive, but the reason people are asking isn't because they want to be nasty or rude. It's because what you're doing, whether it be giving yourself an injection or whether they see a continual glucose monitor, whatever it is, it's foreign to them and it's different. And they just start asking because they don't understand it and they're interested and they want to learn more. Is that your experience on that as well? Uh, yes. A lot of kids haven't really had a lot of exposure with diabetes, especially around here, I guess. So it's a different thing again. So you, you're definitely getting quite a lot of questions in that and trying to explain it the best way you can is probably the, uh, the thing I've found. Um, yeah. But yeah, a lot of questions. I've definitely had a lot of different questions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, now, Lockie, I, I want to speak to you a little bit about your experience as an athlete. You said you were known as the swimming kid, um, which is pretty cool um, to represent Australia. Um, you know, reach some finals and all those kind of things. An amazing effort. You said you started swimming six to nine months after being diagnosed with diabetes. Was that because you decided you needed to find some form of fitness? Was it because you fell into it through school? How did you start swimming firstly? Yeah, well, actually fell into it through school. So we had our school swimming championship, you know, early Feb, no, late Feb, early March. And I ended up doing really well in that. And, you know, at that time I was only swimming, you know, 30 minutes a week just, you know, learn to swim program. So after having some success with that, I was like, you know, I think I want to take up swimming more. So we started to look around at different clubs. And, um, you know, I eventually found the club that I joined. So it was really, I suppose I started swimming because I did well in it and I wanted to, you know, start doing another sport at a higher level. So that's, you know, I suppose why I started taking it up. And I think it was actually really good timing to take it up, you know, when I did because I was really dealing with diabetes. So, you know, to start, and I suppose, taking my mind off of, you know, being diabetic and starting to delve myself into swimming, I think was really good. Um, I also think having a sport... Like um, swimming that I did in at such a high level from early on meant that, you know, if I was counting carbs for diabetes, I was also counting carbs for swimming. 
So it really made everything a lot easier, I suppose, if, if that makes sense. Uh, absolutely, it does, mate. I, I mean, I know from my personal experience being diagnosed in my third year of playing AFL, I consider myself lucky that obviously, you know, I would uh, much prefer to not have been diagnosed at all, but to have been diagnosed when I was playing footy because you look at, you know, what the the best way to manage a diabetes is to have a good diet, to have a good routine, to be quite strict, to be quite regimented, to be disciplined, to keep athletic, to keep, to keep fit. And that's exactly what you do as an AFL footballer. So I, I probably didn't have to change as much as I might have otherwise if I was not playing football. Do, do you sort of find that, that they did go hand in hand, that um, the best way for you to be a good swimmer actually worked well with you controlling your diabetes as well as possible? Yeah, definitely. As like a two-way thing, you know, to do the best I could in swimming meant I really had to manage my diabetes. You know, for example, swimming with diabetes is really difficult because, you know, you can't check your sugars very easily as, you know, I'm in a wet environment. And, you know, I'm in the pool and swimming. So I really had to, you know, really, I really had to make sure my diet was really good. You know, so during my swimming, I was swimming, I was eating about 250 mils of Gatorade every 30 minutes, which was almost a litre of Gatorade a session, which was a lot of sugar. But I had to do that to make sure I didn't go hypo during my sessions. Um, before my, before I would start swimming, I would have about 30 grams of carbs in generally a banana to try and, you know, both have enough energy to be able to do my session session and also to boost my carbs up a little bit more. So the key, you know, to be able to do my training sessions well was to make sure my sugars were as good as I could get them, you know, right before I, right before I would swim. And in doing that, I really think it enabled me to just have the mindset of always having great sugars because, you know, you feel good when your sugars are doing well as well. Absolutely, you do. You, you feel much better, I, I think, both physically and mentally. I mean, you feel like, um, you've got things under control for want of a better word. Just one last one on the swimming for now before I want to get back to Blair, um, Lockie, and that is, did you do things differently for swimming as opposed to on competition day? You know, you've got a big meet, you've got the championships or whatever the big race might be. I know talking from my experience playing footy, when I was playing a game, I used to try and have my sugars a little bit higher than normal to make sure that I avoided having a hypo whilst I was playing. So I used to try and aim to have my sugars somewhere between 10 to 13. Um, as I said, I just would rather have been a little bit higher than avoid a, 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 have a hypo. However, you don't want to be doing that full time. So when I was just training, I tried to make maintain them as well as I possibly could. Did you do something similar or did you just have the same routine that you stuck to time and time again? Yeah, so similar and different at the same time. So one thing that you have to get ahead around with swimming competitions is that they're incredibly timetabled, you know. If my race was at 3 o'clock, I had to be ready by 3 o'clock or I wouldn't swim. So there was no, if my shoes aren't quite right, you know, I can do it at 3.10, I can do it at 3.30. I wasn't ready by three o'clock. I wouldn't be able to swim. So I really had to make sure that my sugars were in the perfect spot at three at the time I was swimming. Um, so I, I would generally try and have my sugars in the ranges 5.5 up to about 12 because swimming competition days are around about six to eight hours long. So this meant, you know, if I did run at, you know, 10 to 13, by the end of the day, you know, my sugars would be like 18 plus. So I, you know, I couldn't swim at that point. So I really had to make sure the shoes were in a really nice, tight range because if they started to go up too high or started to go down too low, there was often, you know, no stopping that at that point. Absolutely. I completely, completely get it. What about you, Blair? Have you got, um, certainly, you know, country Victoria, um, 
sports are pretty popular. Do, do you play sports or, or anything like that? Do you keep, how do you keep active and keep yourself fit? Uh, I, I don't do a lot of sports or anything. I kick the footy at school and things like that. But I do a lot of work around. Um, we sort of farm a little bit and we have a few different old cars we've been fixing up and that sort of thing. So I do a lot of uh, work in the shed. I've been doing uh, engineering at school, so welding and various things like that. Now, I've just got a ute to do up for my first vehicle, actually, uh, old land cruiser, which I'm fixing up, yeah. Happy that's days. Very active. Yeah. Happy days. Now, now talk, I want to talk to you about, Jill, just ask you about that. Being in a regional community and, and being on a farm or whatever, if you're going to be spending time away from, I don't know, a house or, or wherever where you don't have easy access to sugar if you potentially have a hypo, do you take, um, whether it be some, I don't know, glucose gels or some Gatorades or whatever with you or how do you manage that if you know that you might be busy and active for a couple of hours but you might not have necessarily an easy access to um, things like sugar in case you do have a high pot. So I always carry a a bag with me. So I always carry my glucose meter in there, um, a juice, an extra carb, a can of lemonade or um, some glucose gel sort of stuff. And I usually go straight for that if I'm low or need extra carb for doing something. Yeah. So just it's yeah. about being it's about being prepared and, and always having something on you. Yeah, that's that's probably key, being prepared and trying to anticipate what you might need sort of thing is the hard part. One hundred percent. Now you both recently um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you both recently left school, is that correct? Uh, yes, I'm currently doing university but I finished my year twelve education last year. Yep, and do you blame? Um, I'm still doing school at the moment. I'm in year 11 this year, so I'm doing VCE. Okay, so you're both either going through or, or have been through um, things like exams. Um, particularly, you lost your year 12 last year, but um, Blair, you said you're doing engineering stuff and, and you've got exams coming up year 10, year 11, VCE. Obviously, exams can be a pretty full-on time, which includes stresses, um, all of these types of things. Firstly, how have you found the impact of, of stress around your diabetes and how it's impacted you? And then secondly, when having the exams themselves, how would you guys deal with that? You know, the last thing you want is to be having sugars all over the place during an exam. If you're having a hypo, I can imagine you're not thinking overly straight and, and it wouldn't be an easy experience. And, and as well, it's you know, they're too high, you're probably going to be quite agitated and probably get more stressed than you normally would. So I'll go to you first, Lockie, because you did year 12 last year. How did you find your diabetes impacted on these kinds of things? Yeah, okay. Well, firstly, I was quite fortunate that I'd already, you know, done a lot of swimming by that point. So I kind of had an idea of how to deal with just firstly stress. So I know that, you know, you mess my sugars up, both going high and low. So that... I suppose gave me like the mindset and the discipline to know how to approach and tackle the stress alone, not the exam itself, but just, you know, the stress of going into the, um, you know, an exam and not competing, but, you know, doing as well as I could in the exam. So one of the things I did to try and avoid or my sugars going up and down as much was to eat a low amount of carbs. You know, the idea was that, um, you know, to reduce my sugar spike and to adjust and adapt to less variables. You know, I'd only be adjusting to 
you know, my stress rather than, you know, having just eaten a bunch of carbs. So I ate a lot of eggs and fish during that three-week exam period. Uh, so how did I actually deal with my exams? Is I um, had 14 exams to do in the three-week period, which is around about two to six hours, you know, of exams, you know, for that three-week period, which is honestly a lot of exams and was really tiring by the end of it. Um, so I think one of the keys of doing that it was having a lot of practice exams to know how my sugars would deal with that. So, you know, in year 11, I would do two sets of practice exams. In year 12, I did them as well. So by the time it came to my exams, I had a bit of an idea of how best to adopt to each situation, whether my sugars would go high. I would actually start to manually inject some insulin because I found that I um, would make my sugars go down faster than just using the pump. And if my sugars were low, I would be having, you know, sugar tablets, which, you know, I found after experimenting with the things that would um, work the fastest on me. So that was kind of how I would try and deal with my sugars going up and down. Um, I also think the key is really just if you're able to, depends if you're able to get C's or special consideration, if you're able to get a rest break, take it so you can just, you know, sit down, calm your mind, you know, my sugars are up, they're going down, you know, just try and, you know, if you, I found if I was more calm, then my sugars and the stress would go, be less variable. Well, very, very good advice. Um, Blair, what about yourself, mate? How, how do you deal with things like that, um, you know, whether it be exams or, or whatever else? Uh, I've, very fortunate as well to have a very supporting family and a very supporting school in there to help me out a lot. Um, I've found when I go into exams and that, I do get a bit stressed and and my blood sugars go a bit everywhere. But, yeah, I try and have a bit extra insulin to try and bring my sugars down and keep them in a good range. Uh, for things like sacks and different things, um, my I try and keep my blood sugars under 10 to try and keep them so I can concentrate well. And, yeah. So, Jesus, you must speak as, as maturely as I should possibly imagine um, people at your age. Just a couple of questions I want to touch on um, before we do finish up. Um, I want to talk around support, mental health, and, and things, particularly during this time of COVID. And then also, I want, I want to talk about the changing things when you're a late teenager and talk about the real aspects of diabetes and things that, you know, when you, you know, get to your age, you start going out with friends, you might start to, um, you know, drink alcohol and, and things like this. So, Blair, I, I want to start with you on, on this note. Um, have you had any issues um, with drinking alcohol? Have you avoided drinking alcohol because of your diabetes? Do you put plans in place if you, if you plan on having a drink with your friends or with your family or, or whatever it might be? Uh, yeah, so I turned 18 in July, but I ha- I don't actually drink. Um, being celiac and diabetic, it's hard to balance everything because a lot of alcohol has gluten and then you go balance for other things as well. But I still go out and socialize with my mates and they are very supportive that so I don't drink and we still have a good time even without drinking like and all that. Yeah. D- do you find that hard that, I mean, obviously, you, you I'm, I'm going to guess that you'll say um, you're looking after yourself and doing the right thing by yourself and, and it's okay. But at the same time, you're, the reason you are not doing this is because you've been diagnosed um, with diabetes and, and related um, celiac disease and that's the reason you're not drinking. So as part of being, inverted commas, normal and going out with your friends, you can't do something 
that they can. Does that impact you mentally or, or how do you get around that? I know you said they're supportive, but does it ever get you down or do you just not really think about it? Oh, I, a lot of times I don't think about it. There has been occasions I've thought about it and that, but at the end of the day, I guess, um, there are other people who don't drink in my class and that when we go out, if we do go out and things like that. But yeah, a lot of people don't treat me any different and so I really don't think about it that much. That's, that's, uh, look, I'm, I'm honestly glad to hear that. What about you, Lockie? Um, obviously, between exams and, and swimming and all these kinds of things, you probably haven't, um, I'm assuming, had a massive exposure to alcohol. But, you know, when you go out with friends or catch up with friends, and have you ever had any issues with drinking or do you put plans in place for if you're going to do it? Yeah, so I do put plans in place. So firstly, I was turned 18 last year, but really I spent most of the year studying so I didn't go out to party that often, but I did, you know, go out to friends' houses, hang out with, you know, a bunch of mates together. So being in a more, I suppose, safe environment made it a lot more easy to, you know, try out alcohol because, you know, going out to a party, you know, something goes wrong is a lot more difficult, you know. Hanging out at a friend's place, you know, you know, going out to a restaurant makes it a lot easier, you know, to try out different alcohol and stuff like that. So that made it easy, you know, so I suppose, you know, taking it slower, you know, starting off, you know, having one drink when I'd go out, you know, the next time I might have two drinks to see how it impacted my sugars. Um, so that was the first thing I did, you know, taking it slowly and going up that way. Um, the second thing I would do is, you know, checking my sugars and if, you know, my sugars were 10 or higher or, you know, five or less, I wouldn't drink just in case, you know, I'd go hyper or start to shoot up high. And again, fortunately, my friends were incredibly supportive of that. And being a swimmer, I was disciplined in knowing that, you know, if my sugars aren't right, I can't eat at that time. So, you know, for me, mental health-wise, it was never an issue of, you know, if I can't drink, you know, it was annoying if I couldn't, but I knew if I, you know, if I did drink, the effects later would kill if I go high or low. So I never felt left out, I suppose, to not drinking on the rare occasions I didn't because I knew for myself if I did, I'd be feeling awful later just in my sugar side of it. Um, I would also set timers if I did drink between 30 and 60 minutes to check my sugars, but just to check how they're going. Um, I I have a pump myself and I'm on a continuous glucose monitoring, which I'm sure Blair would know a lot about, which really helps monitor my sugars because you're really able to quickly just check your pump and check what it is. Almost like a phone, if you're checking the time on your phone, you know, it's that easy, you know, you just flick it out, check what your sugars are at that point and put it back away. So that made it really easy to see if my sugars are going up or down to monitor how I was drinking at that point. 100%. And again, I... The maturity is, is remarkable, but you know the, the planning in place. One thing that I know I certainly do is um, if I'm going to have a drink, if I'm with family or, or close friends in a, in a more controlled environment, um, that's where I can certainly let the hair down a little bit more and, and relax and know that God forbid something did happen. I'm around people I, I know I and I can trust. Whereas if I am out, um, you know, at, at a bar or a pub or, or whatever it might be, and um, you're sort of left to controlling yourself. That's when you sort of pull it back a little bit. And, you know, I've had diabetes now for eight years or something, and, and you do get more used to it. But it's just, I suppose, those controlled environments versus those non-controlled environments that um, you're just trying to minimise the risk as much as possible. I mean, I know I've been out at bars before um, having a good night, and, and all of a sudden I felt a little bit a little bit off and... Uh, it wasn't the impact of alcohol. I could just tell. So straight away, I tested my sugars and they were quite low. I think they were in the high twos or low threes sort of area. So I just went straight to the bar and, and got a few lemonades and sat there for an hour just 
just treating them. So um, they're just the kind of things that you have to do. Getting back to this peer support through COVID, um, obviously you've been really big on this way um, around peer support and, and a network to help people, but maybe not impacted as badly in regional Victoria as Metro, but how important is it during COVID right now that you're staying connected with people, staying in touch, that you are keeping active and you're still trying to manage your diabetes as well as possible during what is a non-normal time? Yeah, it definitely is uh, quite challenging, but I suppose being in regional Victoria, it's a bit different. We've got a bit more space to do things, I guess, but yeah, we try and keep in contact with everyone by phone call or video conference or something. So in our diabetes support group, we have 15 members and a lot of them are older people as well and we try and keeping a lot of contact with them. So it's just, just it's not just type 1, it's also type 2. And then we try and keep in contact with other families with type 1 diabetes as well, and that, which is probably a key thing because a lot of them have had um, concerns about COVID and that with type 1 diabetes. And, yeah, we just try and support each other and reassure each other and that sort of thing. Absolutely, mate. I, I can imagine. Just before I will finish, I know we've touched on the peer support, but how important has it been for you to talk through and share experiences and have that peer support, um, whether it be people of similar age, different ages, but to just know that um, whatever you're going through, maybe it's waking up throughout the night with a hypo, maybe it's your sugars being all over the place despite the fact you feel you're doing everything right. How important is it to have that support network for you and, and how much do you reckon it's helped having those shared experiences? Um, I reckon it's helped a lot. Well, me personally, it's been quite rewarding and also very helpful speaking to people who have had very common experiences and can promote um, helpful ideas. Um, also, I suppose being a support group, um, we can have different programs to help us learn about different things, such as the Desmond program, which Diabetes Victoria run. Um, we've had that up here, and that was quite interesting with the carbon counting and managing diabetes. And, yeah, it really helped a lot. Absolutely, mate. And I'll come back to you, Lockie, with, with the same type of questions. Firstly, um, have you had you know peer support around diabetes with people to help share experiences? Is it more about your family and friends? And then secondly, how COVID has impacted on this? Um, not And then not just with peer support, but things like keeping active and, and mental health and, and those kinds of things. Yeah, right. So I went on the diabetes camps, which I'm pretty sure run by Diabetes Victoria, after probably about a year or two of having diabetes. And that really helped me um, just to normalize diabetes to see. I, I still remember, you know, eight, nine years ago, walking into that... Um, breakfast or dinner room and seeing everyone checking their sugars, everyone injecting together. And it really just made me feel that it proved to me that I wasn't alone in diabetes. So I would really strongly recommend if anyone's, um, you know, listening and they're feeling alone, enter those camps because they really help show that, you know, everyone has diabetes or everyone who has diabetes, you know, we're all in this together. And also that, you know, you can live with it fine. I also remember seeing, you know, the helpers at these camps who also were diabetics, you know, I think they're 18, 20-year-olds, but, you know, for me as, you know, a 10-year-old, they're massive. And just to see how they were living their lives perfectly fine with diabetes really helps me, you know, become positive about my diabetes and to show that, you know, diabetes, you know, isn't going to impact my life. It's just, you know, it's part of my life now, but it's not going to, you know, define who I am. It's not going to really change my life in the future. 
so that's, I suppose, my, you know, how I met like other diabetics doing the diabetes camp and on to how COVID has impacted my diabetes. Um, you know, honestly, I didn't, as soon as COVID came, I kind of stopped exercising. Um, you know, I kind of just, you know, was sitting down and, you know, studying online. That was not a great idea. You know, after a couple of weeks, I wasn't feeling so great. So I started to go back to the exercise and, you know, I was feeling a lot better. So really, you know, if you're exercising, I suppose I would say keeping your routine that you're doing, don't change it because of COVID, you know, go out, have a little bit of a run, lift some weights if you're able to, just to keep yourself moving was really what I do. Managing diabetes in COVID, I found it's been actually easier because you know, I'm just at home. You know, I don't even have to drive to get to uni. I don't have to drive to get to work. So it's actually been easier to manage diabetes in COVID. However, making sure I haven't changed my routine from pre-COVID into COVID was really important. Boys, I, I could listen to both of you talk and ask you a million more questions um, and, and just go on and on. But I am mindful we're running out of time and probably have already. I'll come back to you, Blair, as, as a last thought first. Is there any uh, messages you sort of wanted to finish up with or anything you wanted to convey to, to finish up? Um, any key facts or key notes sort of through either your management previously or currently or, or just anything you wanted to share before uh, we have to finish up? There would be probably one big thing in that is, I suppose, um, if you're not a part of a diabetes support group and you're having issues or anything, and you feel alone in that. Um, Diabetes Victoria have a lot of support groups out there, and they're very good to go and meet people and share experiences. And I suppose some advice I'd just give to anyone with type 1 diabetes or just diabetes in general, it doesn't really stop you from doing things. I mean, it's expanded a lot of opportunities I've had and given me a lot too. Um, Yeah. Very, very positive way to look at it, mate. It's, uh, um, it's inspirational just, just listening to you, mate. Uh, Lockie, what about yourself, mate? Any final words of advice or, or whatever it might be? Yeah, so very similar to Blair, you know, don't let diabetes stop you doing anything. You know, I wanted to be a competitive swimmer, so I did that. You know, I didn't let diabetes stop me from doing that. You know, I just worked my life around having diabetes. And I think, you know, the person I am today, you know, has potentially helped me because of diabetes, you know, I've gained a lot of discipline from having diabetes, you know, I've met new people. So I think just really don't let diabetes stop you from doing anything, you know, just adopt and adjust your life to it. And, you know, as a second thing, you know, for young people out there, if you are feeling, you know, diabetes is really hard, you know, and you're not on a pump, I would really strongly recommend trying out the diabetic pump. Just for me, it made my life a lot more normal because it means, you know, you can eat whenever you want, you can eat whatever you want. So, you know, I remember changing from injections to a pump. It just made everything a lot more normal. So I could just, you know, I could hang out with my friends when I wanted to. I could go out to parties and eat what everyone else was, you know, relatively. Yeah, absolutely. And finding what works for you individually. That's, that's what I think is really key. Obviously, everyone's different from body size, body shape, what you can eat, what you can't eat, what you do for a job, how you go at school, what you do for exercise. Everyone's different. So what works for me might necessarily not work for you, but in conjunction with your healthcare team, obviously, that's certainly the most important thing, but with your doctors and endos and specialists, working out what works best for you, um, I, I think dealing with your diabetes and not with someone else's is probably key on that. I, I completely agree. Boys, as I said, I could talk for you know hours and hours. What, what you both have done, are doing, continue to do, and will do in the future is remarkable from elite-level swimming and, and representing Australia to, you know, an, an Australian defence, 
um, Australian Defence Force uh, medal or award um, and Young Citizen of the Year for Australia Day in your local shire. I mean, these kinds of things are amazing. So what you're doing um, both for people with diabetes but also for yourselves and the lives that you are living, you should both be so proud um, and I really look forward to, to what to come. As I said, You've lived remarkable lives already at the age of 18 and 19, but I really look forward to what's to come for both of you because the maturity um, and the positivity and just the willingness to share and be open, um, I really thank you both for coming on and sharing your story today. Um, Lockie, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. And Blair, thank you very much. Thank you for having me as well. Thanks, boys, and uh, all the best. Stay well, stay safe during this mad COVID time as well. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like to contact us, it's very easy. Simply send an email to podcast at diabetesvic.org.au. Or, of course, all the information you'll need is on the website, diabetesvic.org.au.